Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Andrew Nettie. Andrew's first book, Ghost Money, a gritty crime story set in Cambodia in the mid-90s, was first published in 2012. It was recently released by the Hong Kong-based publisher Crime Wave Press. His second novel, Gunshine State, will be released by 280 steps in the second half of 2016. He's one of the founders of Crime Factory Publications, a small press specializing in crime fiction, and helps edit its online magazine at Crime Factory. He also co-edited its second book, Hard Labor, an anthology of Australian short crime fiction. His short fiction has appeared in a number of print and online publications. On this episode, we compare and contrast Batman vs Superman with Captain America Civil War. And in the topic, we talk about the editing process and general comments on decisions regarding placing your book with traditional sources or through self-publishing. As always, my email is mailbox at Feel free to send me your comments and feedback. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore today. Luke, you're here. How have you been? Good. Yeah, still here. Still here. I know you keep expecting me to disappear. But <laughs> Why do I keep saying you're here? I don't know. It's. I told you it's a running joke. This it is, is how it's it going to be. Going. But yes, I'm here. So you're here. Yeah. How here are you here? Are you tired well, here? I'm, is it the I'm, usual Luke here? I'm double dose dare coffee here. So, oh, man. yeah. I'm... So, you're never going to stop talking then. <laughs> Great. I can and that just doesn't leave. hit me. That doesn't go that far. It just keeps <laughs> me awake. So, fantastic. What have you been up to, Luke? Uh, I actually put the second part of that story that I was um, working on for the last few weeks out. Um, and so, um, for. For all of you who've um, been following it, yes, I, I don't think I've gotten all the clicks that I was looking for, but I thought, hey, why not? I'll put another piece out. And now it's turned into a three-parter, so there's more room for clicks before I before I move on. Um, <laughs> Awfully cynical, but yeah, I'm sure that's not true. Um, I've absolutely filled up my bookshelf, mm-hmm. which is unusual for me. Usually I've got like one book maybe going, but right now I'm in the middle of at least five um, Want to give us a list? Yeah, I'm going to give you a list. So, two of them by Neil Gaiman. I've got Sandman and American Gods going. Um, mm-hmm. I've just gotten Lovecraft's complete collection that I've got to start reading. I haven't quite started that one, so I can't really say it's on my Ooh, list. I'm, on my, I'm excited to see what I'm, you think of that. I'm excited too. Um, I just finished The Restaurant at the, Uni- the End of the Universe by Douglas Adams. I've previously read his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ages ago and mm-hmm. cannot get enough of it. And then I thought, hey, yeah, I should read the rest of the books one day. Mm-hmm. So now I'm I'm into the third book now, um, and oh, there's another book. Why can't I think of it? I shouldn't be overloading myself with stories like this because then it all sort of comes through less strong. So you're reading it all at the same time. All at the same time. Most My of them goodness. like partway through pieces because it depends on where I am as to how I can read. I can't do that. So like um, Sandman, for instance, because mm. it's a comic, I can yeah. read it at certain times. If American Gods, I can read while I'm walking because I can I can read off a screen like prose off while I'm walking. Wait, you read while you're walking? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're like a walking hazard. No. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you are international guests, don't come to Melbourne because Luke (laughs) is going to get you killed. I've trained myself in this ages ago. My parents always thought I'd run into poles, but I haven't actually run into a pole yet. How about people? Or people. Animals. Okay, maybe I've tripped over an animal once. Oh my. No, I haven't. Stepped on a cat? (laughs) No. 
Oh, man. Even no, my eyes open, I need I've, to step on a cat. I don't know. I've trained myself to that from very young, and I've never actually ever anything, so... So your superhero skill, because we're going to be talking about superheroes in the media section, is reading while walking. That's Man, right. that's sad. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, it means I can get as much reading as I, I entertain myself during the walking journey. I don't have to watch a movie while I'm walking. You don't have to instance. pay attention to the lovely, you know, the trees or the birds. Instead, you pay attention to words on a page. You're a fantastic writer. That's why I'm a writer, yeah. There you go. Um, Andrew, Andrew Nett, Nettie. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you you mispronounced you? my second my second name deliberately, didn't you? Then I didn't. you had it you had it right I the first didn't time. Didn't completely. <laughs> it, nah, it, it's, it's it's his way of um, you know warming up the podcast right. for you. No, it totally isn't. It's just me being forgetful. <laughs> um, Andrew, how have you been? I've been very well. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. How has your week been? Uh busy. Busy, a little, little uh, isolated at home. Been doing mm-hmm. a lot of work, mm-hmm. um, but good. Mm-hmm. You know? Isolated is good for a writer. You enjoy the isolation? Uh, there's times I enjoy it, and at times it drives me absolutely nuts. <laughs> okay. Um, Do you have pets? No, I don't. Ooh, you have family. Isolated. I have family. I mean that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, have da- I have a daughter and a partner, and a, and a partner. So that that's good. But no, I've been, I've been busy. I've been busy. I've been good. Hmm. Fantastic. Just Great. gearing up for the next. Eight weeks of this fantastic non-election campaign. <laughs> you know, it's just trying to block. That's good too because I'm blocking that out, getting, uh-huh. a lot, getting a lot of work done, not paying attention to how incredibly boring that is. Yeah. So, yeah, for people who, who aren't in Australia not paying attention to international news, we have the longest election campaign that's currently going in 55 days, I think it is. Oh, Something like that. It's 55 days of nonsense. Mm-hmm. I'm not even in isolation. I don't know about it. Just switch. Don't, the, don't watch the <laughs> Let's news. not even talk about it. Let's, let's move on. Let's, yeah, politics. <laughs> sorry I even raised it. Not even a fun topic, Andrew. No, what are sorry, you doing? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, Andrew, have you been reading anything lately? Well, oh, look, I've been reading a lot. I've been reading a lot. But mm-hmm. uh, what I've been reading at the moment and really enjoying... Mm-hmm. Is uh, Viet Tan Nguyen's The Sympathizer. Okay. I don't know if you've hmm. heard of that. It's a sort of interesting, it's a, it's a novel about a, um, by a Vietnamese chap. It's basically a novel about this sort of Vietnamese, I suppose, communist spy who works for the regime in South Vietnam during the war. And then when the war ends and the South Vietnam regime mm-hmm. flees to America, he's told by his handlers to flee with them. Yeah, and so it's this Vietnamese, so it's this Vietnamese perspective on the withdrawal of Saigon. It's this Vietnamese perspective on what life is like for all the all the all the sort of Vietnamese ruling class who fled Vietnam after the war. Mm. Fascinating. Mm. Well, that sounds really good. I'll give it, it a is. shot. Yeah, and the is. title is again, the Sympathizer. The Sympathizer. Fantastic. It's a very big red book. It is a big red book. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um. So. We usually move on to a new section, but but Luke has, has copped out, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, He's bail, I actually... couldn't find anything interesting, so oh. I have to let Joel come up with something interesting. So instead of me coming up with anything interesting, I thought, hey, we'll just throw our guest in on the deep end and ask him to come up with something interesting. But Andrew does have something. I do have something interesting. I think it's 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 um, farewell to... Um, what was her name? Her name was... Uh, excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm. Jessa Crispin who was the uh, founder of a, a really good book, sort of literary book review website called The Book Slut. Mm-hmm. And it was a great, great, I didn't dip into it as much as I probably wanted to all the time, but mm. uh, I did visit it every now and again. I did a lot of indie books. And she always had an interesting um, take 
on books mm-hmm. and she was always resolutely indie and for want of a better way of putting it, resolutely anti-literary professional. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and mm-hmm. I, I, I found out that she was closing the, her, her site, The Book Slut, because there was a fascinating interview with her um, doing the rounds of social media. Yep. Mainly because mm-hmm. she uh, – and she, she – the interview is fascinating for its frankness – the fact that she really says what she thinks. Mm-hmm. There's some um, great quotes. I love I loved this one. Part of the reason why I disengage from it, mm-hmm. this is from the literary community, is I just don't find American literature interesting. I find MFA culture terrible. Everyone's super cheerful because they're trying to sell you something, and I find it really repulsive. Mm-hmm. There seems to be less and less underground, and what it's replaced by is this very professional, shiny, happy, plastic version of literature. Mm-hmm. Go, Crisper. Go, <laughs> yeah. Jenna. Yep. Sounds fantastic. Well, you can check out that article at... I think it's on Vulture. Vulture? Yeah. Vulture. Fantastic. Vulture magazine. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well... Actually, I sort of do have news. It's not... It's not um, <laughs> All headlines. Right. Okay. Just shamed just out of I, your silence, Just Luke. when I think of um, the fact that, you know, this podcast will be out in, what, a week and a half or something, mm-hmm. the Writers' Festival is actually coming up in Melbourne, like mid- middle of June, so I... Was that the Emerging Writers Festival or the Writers Festival? I the can't Emerging which Writers one Festival. Now. Yeah, it is yes. the Emerging Writers Festival. Good. Thankfully, I've got other people here for the news too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Emerging Writers Festival is... Just give me a hall if you need me to do anything else. Yep, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll just yell, Andrew, save us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can look into that if you're in Melbourne or or fly down from Queensland or yep, anything like that's that. That's right. They had their program launch, I think, today? Maybe. Did, you, did you guys get an invite? To the Emerging Writers Festival? To, to, the, to the program launch. Let's, uh, let's keep that for the after, after okay. talk, All right, that's Andrew. Like offline, offline. Okay, radio. Uh, nothing uh, yeah. sus going on. Good to, um, <laughs> good to shout that out as we had... Um, oh, I've forgotten her name now. That's terrible. Why have I forgotten her name? She was on the Elf podcast. Elspeth Fitzgerald. Yes, yes she, she was, was on the on podcast, podcast. a little while ago. So. And I'm sure she's very, very busy, but you should check out their program and mm. uh, see what's coming up. That's I will right. definitely be attending uh, some of... Um, the sessions, see what's going on then, so should you. Fantastic. Great, that's it. And that is the end of the news. Now we get started with our media section, ladies and gentlemen. Let's start off with Luke. What have you got for us? Oh, you, you don't have to, to have the media. too much. I'm not going to have much at all if I can think of anything, because I've been so busy reading books mm-hmm. recently, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. It's a <laughs> I'm actually astounded at myself because I don't. I'm not usually that heavy of a reader. Mm-hmm. I used to be, but not anymore. I used to empty the library, <laughs> but but the um, libraries are full now. But now the libraries no, they're them. they're emptying again because <laughs> <laughs> here's me getting back into it. So as for watching things or attending theatre or anything, no, I haven't got anything solid on my list. Unfortunately, that's totally fine. Don't worry, I've got quite the rant coming but, up. But um, so. definitely, definitely need to um. You, you all should be reading um, Douglas Adams' books if you haven't already. So, mm-hmm. total fanboy. Uh, That's right, and fair as well. Andrew, <laughs> have you got anything for us? Any media? Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's an election going on. No, that it's definitely really boring. Not. No, definitely no, not. no, I've given you, I've given you my Something media. With the a story in it. <laughs> the closer of the book slut. Okay. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. The book slut. There you go. We will mm-hmm. miss you. R.I.P. And your candid nature. Mm-hmm. And your frank statements. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a bit of things to talk about. Have either of you um, either watched superhero movies in the last superhero craze? Have you watched the recent ones? 
I'm getting so bored with these. You're getting a bit bored. <laughs> really bored. I don't with really them. blame you, uh, Luke. How about you? You caught. Well, I mean, I've watched a bunch of the newer ones, but not not like um, I haven't got. I never got really got into this like Superman, Batman thing. Yes, but but uh, Iron Man. Yeah, I got into that a lot. So yeah, is that the recent you're looking for? Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> sort of. Um, Superman, you brought up. Uh, I wanted to talk about two films uh, and contrast them, compare and contrast. One, if you don't like superhero movies, you can just tune out. It's fine. I, I wouldn't blame you, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but if you decide to listen in, uh, I'll be talking about Batman vs. Superman, a film that I watched a couple weeks ago. I've seen that. Yeah, there you go. And Marvel Civil War, which came out like what, two days ago, two three weeks. days ago? No, that's in America. Snore. Snow. Do you watch it, Andrew? I haven't watched the first, the second one, but I have watched Batman vs. Superman. Okay. So let's let's talk about Batman vs. Superman, Andrew. What do yep. you think? Um, look, I thought it was okay. I thought it was entertaining enough. Um, I don't know why it quite got all the hate it got. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was any more silly than any of the other recent superhero movies. <laughs> um, I loved the sort of hardcore, um, messed up Bruce Wayne Batman. I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. And the slightly psychotic... Um, weird, uh, effed up Superman. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. <laughs> thought it was all right. Um, well, I'm a little more harsh uh, on this film, and and not for I suppose some of the reasons that it did get panned for. I think a lot of it was unjustified, and people wanted a film that they didn't get, so then they were upset mm-hmm. and outraged, and hence why all the articles were written. Unfortunately, I don't really like Batman versus Superman. I think. Um, uh, it's based, semi-based off uh, a series written by Frank Miller, um, who is quite a good writer and who wrote uh, this Batman versus Superman arc, I think, quite well. Um, superheroes, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, in the end, they're just capes. And yes, they do punch people, and that's sort of their gimmick. But the idea behind them, and especially in modern day, we try and uh, give them different aspects to their personality. There's a psychological approach where we look at them and see like what that has and how they break down, and we see that really well done in something like Watchmen, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then in modern TV adaptations of Daredevil and Jessica Jones and such, we've got more realistic approaches to the heroes, even with the superpowers. Um, but in, in DC's Batman vs. Superman, I think I like... Uh, you mentioned um, the Ben Affleck Bruce Wayne. I think he did a fantastic job. I think it was really good. I enjoyed him more than uh, um, uh, Christian Bale's uh, Batman. Um, I not, think not he, saying much. No, which isn't saying much. That's no. very true. Um, I did think you said Ben Stiller. I was like, that doesn't sound very um, <laughs> Ben Stiller Batman-y. Batman. Well, Nicholas Cage only played Superman. That's another story. <laughs> um, but. And I really like that. I think they did it well. Even though the reasoning for why the character does what he does is just a bit... Um, I don't know. It, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Not as logical as it Not as logical. Are you trying to find sense in the superhero <laughs> Okay, movie? Andrew, let's, let's, have a, let's have a talk, all right? <laughs> I, I would like to think that if the film is trying to maintain a serious tone... It wants us to take it seriously. Especially if it's going to add character depth. Exactly. To the characters. If, for instance, they decided to be like Ant-Man, where it's just like, I mean, come on, it's Ant-Man. We're not going to take this too seriously. I liked Ant-Man. I loved Ant-Man because Because it didn't try and make anything else than what it was. Exactly. And this is why I don't like Batman vs. Superman. 
I don't like it because uh, because Zack Snyder thinks he can do this Christ-like imagery with Superman and be like, guess what, guys? We're going to talk about gods and how they come among us and how they be like men and, and the weird ideological perspective. But he does, he just like he shows us images and never goes into it. And, and this is an issue I had in the film. You've got these layers of subtlety that Zack Snyder seems to wield like a sledgehammer <laughs> instead of like weaving it into the narrative. If you just want a proper Superman movie, uh, then, you know, Christopher Reeve is just fine because that is what Superman is really, a, a flat character, which is kind of interesting because he's played by Christopher Reeve and nothing else. Um, so, so let's go down this list. Andrew, you can feel free to jump in and talk, and Luke as well. Um, so let's get to some comparisons because I've been wanting to do this for a few weeks and we might as well just do it now before I get bored of it. He's got an essay there, has he? I've got a bit of an essay here. <laughs> got your little um, notes there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, should we go and get a coffee? Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, if you like. You know, I didn't you offer you a coffee at the start of the podcast. No, you didn't. There you go. I feel really so bad. If you fall asleep, I'll go grab you one quick. Yeah, right. there you go. So, comparisons, and I think it's fair to compare the two movies because, one, it's a film about superheroes. Okay. Um, both of them have a central conflict which revolves around two sides which aren't technically evil. Batman and Superman both have conflicting agendas. They're both not really the bad guys. Well, one is a, <laughs> one is a, one is a, vigi- one is a homicidal vigilante. Kind of and homicidal. the other is a sort of messianic mm-hmm. sort of... S- Descended from the star superhero. S- yeah, it's mm. a superhero. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're, they're both crazy. They're both kind of <laughs> nuts, uh, but they both have, in their minds at least, they're doing the right thing, which a lot of villains also have. So both figures are portrayed, at least in the comics, and we understand these guys to be the guys we're barracking for. So we're putting them against each other. Mm. It's the exact same thing in Captain America... Uh, the recent film, Civil War, Marvel's Captain America Civil War, where Cap America is against Iron Man because Iron Man believes in the UN and Captain America doesn't. That's pretty much it. Um, and so both both films operate under this. Uh, both deal, deal with the fallout of a superhero's actions. Um, uh, Civil War dealt with the Avengers messing up a building and you know, a lot of casualties ensuing from that, from the carelessness, and in the previous films they mentioned it as well. Batman versus Superman deals with the criticisms that Zack Snyder had in the Man of Steel movie, where Superman destroys an entire city, basically, in, in the conflict, and then kisses Lewis Lane in the middle of the rubble, and all these, like, rubble-covered people like, yay! <laughs> um, so he's dealing with that, and, you know, it's, it's kind of clever, I guess. Um so the problems I have with Batman versus Superman, it's a faux conflict. It's fake. It is a conflict that you know from the outset is never going to end up with those two characters killing each other. They will inevitably band together to defeat the, the, you know, the bigger bad. <laughs> we know this when we go into the movie. There's no suspension of disbelief. It would be amazing if Batman killed Superman. I would have liked the movie then. I think that, that would have been fantastic. It wouldn't have happened, but there you go. Now, the o- audience knows that this is going to happen. Civil War, on the other hand, we, we don't really know what we're going into because Marvel has a history of, well, playing it pretty ca- safe uh, with its films. Nice three-act structure. Uh, they get a complication in the middle, and then it's resolved at the end. Civil War bucks this trend in a very interesting way. Spoilers at the outset of all of this because, yes, we are going to talk about things. Um in the way that the characters conflict, and unlike Batman versus Superman, where no values change, where you don't see a value change between these heroes, we just, bam, it's in. In Civil War, values do change. Captain America and Iron Man, at the end of that film, 
they're not best friends anymore. Their relationship is tarnished, probably. And they might be allies in the future, but you know there's 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 an undercurrent of problems going on in this. Mm. Um Batman vs. Superman, it only half understands what it is. We talked about this a little bit at the start. It thinks it's a great social commentary on how, you know, whatever it's trying to say. Andrew, Even superheroes can be jump conflicted. I thought you wanted to say something. No, no, no. no. There you go. All right, I read the facial expressions wrong. No. Um, <laughs> and it, it thinks it's a bigger, better movie uh, than it, and bigger, better story, rather, than what it is. It's a film where we want to see Batman and Superman punch out and then hug out, and then beat up Apocalypse. <laughs> That's it. There is Wonder Woman too, though. There is Have Wonder Woman who Wonder shows Woman? up for like five seconds. Yeah, this, this weird sort of Euro Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. sort of, that was quite, who was some Christ, weird you know? like yeah. Greek-style dubstep. Well, I thought I thought I sort of thought it was, she was sort of Baltic. Some, yeah. some, some small it's, Baltic state. Maybe from, some, from Amazon Island I in the know. middle of the Caspian Sea, maybe. Man. I don't know. You know, like, I mean, that's... I didn't get the accent. You're but right. Yes, but anyway, she was there and she added a dash of uh, glamour, mm-hmm. as she was designed to do, I suppose. That's right. Much social media commentary about why didn't we get, get why didn't Wonder Woman get more respect, mm-hmm. which is, I suppose, fair enough. She's getting mm. her own movie, though. Yep, that's right. So people will now be getting ready to hate that. <laughs> I completely Will she get that. any more respect in that? That's the question. Well, I just Probably. think there is a large number of people out there who... Live to get angry oh, of course. about superhero movies. <laughs> yes. Because all fueled the, by the internet. They all fueled by the internet. And it's quite it. bizarre. And I'm now, I'm it's now trying to avoid basically yeah. avoid the internet for the first week of a release uh-huh. of, a, mate, of a big superhero I movie. Don't blame you mm. because it's like people again, they take it a lot more seriously than oh. it is. It's superhero movies, man. They're addicted know. to their own voices about it too. They don't care about anyone else's and the level of vitriol and the level of organization the the thing is and this is something people should understand is that you deserve nothing out of a movie if you like it you like it if you don't like it it's not meant for you turn the channel don't go to the movies that's it there's the hate is irrelevant to the discussion i can Um, and i can understand frustration when it a story has been ruined but when it's aspects about a movie that don't actually affect the story on a whole a continuing story or something they don't need to they don't don't really Mm. have the right to be so vehement vehement. yeah and that's the it's the the vehemence Mm. and the sheer the 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 anger yeah the tears i don't know andrew i feel like people get angry about everything i do (laughs) i should should probably the threats come out too i mean it's just it's insane. Actually, a lot of people just basically like to be angry. Yeah, You're quite right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, that's our it's one the mob mentality that we feel these days. The mob mentality. So let's continue being angry uh, <laughs> and continue with my criticisms here. Uh, so uh, two comments left, uh, and this is a thing that I, I didn't really like in Batman vs. Superman. Its villain is, well, you liked it, Andrew, but for me, I think... I didn't mind it. Yeah. Look, I, but you, you didn't hate it. I was I was I was footloose and fancy free in a yeah. in a city, and I had a night on my mm-hmm. a night to kill, and I just went and saw it, it was and it was okay. Yeah. But look, I mean, and you see, you talk about these. Which Batman and which Superman do you talk about? Christopher. I mean, Reed. when I was young, but when mm. I was young, Batman was uh, what was it? Uh, Adam West. Sorry, Adam a- West. Adam West. That's yeah. the Batman. I, yep. and and the Marvel comics. Oh, I thought you were going to say two D. Sorry, Neil and, and Neil Adams Batman. <laughs> yeah. So that was mm. my, I mean, I, you know, basically my favourite Batman movie. What was that Batman movie with Two Face and, and the Riddler? That was the one that. Uh, oh, yeah, Batman Forever. Batman yeah. Forever. I love that film just because yeah. it was basically, you know. I do too. <laughs> it didn't It didn't take itself seriously. It yep. was just a film. But then mm. people get very excised about 
what Batman and what mm-hmm. Superman and what what, what Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh. And and that's sort of the sadness when I went and saw Batman vs Superman. It's an unfair thing for me to expect that the film would be a completely different tone to Man of Steel. They like this darker thing going on. DC has definitely got it more than Marvel. Um, but I think for that, I think I appreciate Marvel because it's still a superhero movie and they know what it is and they're treating it like that. And I like that a lot more. Um, what if that stemmed out of the Watchmen thing where it kind of pushed towards the... But you see, Watchmen worked downward. because... Well, it's a different... I know, but the thing is it's kind of pushed people towards thinking yes. it has to be... We have to be and, nuanced, and, um, yeah, and pulling that all down, like mm. down with the superheroes and yeah, things like that. I agree. So I wonder if that's why it's all pushing that way. It's because people want complex stories, and because the more people want complex stories, the, the simpler stories become. <laughs> we we start criticizing it, right? You can make um, complex stories without doing that, but yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that way, uh, Lex Luthor for me was you know like a discount Joker, I guess, <laughs> um, and you know. He, he was a villain. He was a villain in the traditional sense, which is fine. Uh, the thing I liked about Marvel Civil War, and, and by the way, at the end of this, you're probably going to expect me to say, sponsored by uh, <laughs> Disney Studios or Marvel or whatever. Um, but the thing I liked about Civil War more was that the villain at the end ended up to be uh, a human. Uh, not an alien like it was in 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 <laughs> oh, <laughs> the shock wow. of Andrew's face. Really transgressive. <laughs> Wait, hang on, Andrew. <laughs> I'll explain. Uh, a person who isn't motivated by some you know great ideal like Ultron was in, in a very weird way. Uh, we don't really <laughs> identify with Ultron as a villain, apart from him being like a megalomaniac, want to kill everyone. Uh, or like the you know giant alien invasion because yeah okay aliens and <laughs> we get that. But this one was just a guy getting upset that his family was murdered and thinking these people are responsible. It's a really simple concept. There's nothing that groundbreaking about it. But Mm -hmm. combine it with a performance that was really, really strong. You actually feel something for this guy at the end. It's a villain that's that necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be the central villain because you've got this conflict between Batman versus Superman. Uh, (laughs) Between Captain America (laughs) versus Iron Man. I'm sorry, too many superheroes. And Batman in a room. and Superman, no. And and that's why I think it worked a lot better. Um, I think to sum up this entire discussion for me, anyway, it's that I like the way that Marvel is going forward with these films because they know that people want to go see a superhero movie. They want to have the the laughs. They want to have the enjoyment. They want to have the fun. And that's the thing that I like in these movies is the fun. You know, I'm not going to go see, um, you know, Ex Machina and expect the same experience when I go see uh, Batman versus Superman. But Batman and Batman versus Superman should understand that. They should know that what what are superheroes? What makes us different from other forms of media? Mm. And you know, embrace it. Don't be afraid to be like, you know, cheesy. Batman mm. for uh, Forever was a great film, and it's super cheesy and a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. So. There you go. That's that's our discussion um, on uh, on superheroes, particularly Batman vs. Superman by DC and Captain America Civil War by Marvel. So that brings us neatly to our topic for the day. And this topic uh, is interesting to me because I was having a conversation with the writer after I had already sent this topic off to Andrew and, uh, and Luke, and we were discussing the idea of how much editing should go in self-publishing and how much editing uh, is provided for in traditional publishing. And where does the balances work? How much should we care when we 
put out a book, self-published. What do we do? So, Luke, we'll start off with you this time. Interesting <laughs> for a topic. Um, when you put up your Soul Shard Chronicles, it was self-published. Mm-hmm. It's a fantasy, young adult. How much editing did you do? Did you hire an editor? You yourself are an editor, but did you hire an editor? You know, what did you do with that? Uh, for my for myself, I went through the thing, obviously to proofread it myself. I edited it with uh, with another with another. Well, actually, a lot of it was with you. Some of the structural edits was with you. So I did have mm-hmm. structural editing feedback throughout the process of writing and editing it, um, and then. It was something of a, uh, I'm trying to think, I'm thinking peer review, but it's not a review, it was peer editing uh, with uh, another one of my friends who was reading. He, he picked out like everything else. And then, of course, I read through it again. And I thought, it's it's clean. Mm-hmm. It's um, the story. It's uh, I've already put it, at th- see, the way that I published it as well, First of all, I was putting it all online, one one post at a time. So I couldn't change the structure too much. I couldn't change very much at all. Um, How many drafts did you do? Uh, th- three, four, three, four, I think. But most of again, it was mostly um, spelling, punctuation, um, some tiny little logic pieces, maybe. But most again, as I said, it was all po- posted online, so people have already read through it. So I can't change the structure a huge amount before I mm. I put it out. So that did simplify a little bit for me. Um, I'm not sure if it's getting me sales, but <laughs> so people can download it. People can download it. It's on Kindle actually. It's on Kindle. Are people downloading it? I've had a few purchases, especially no, when I put it up for free. Um, <laughs> of course, that always happens. <laughs> but no, no, I've, I, um, I'm happy where it is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to put some more things out before I before I watch the sales. So I would love to have the sales just, you know, pop tomorrow, three million buys or something. But, yeah. but, that but doesn't happen. I'm still that happy doesn't to <laughs> see more of my stuff come out before people mm-hmm. pick it up. Yep. So, All right, Andrew. Slow burn. Slow burn, yeah. Slow burn, yes. There you go. What do you think? About what? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> self-publishing, if you were to say now, yep. decide to quit traditional publishing, you give it the boot. I'm on my own. I'm going to self-publish my next book, whatever that may be. Um, and what would what process do you think you'd go through? Well, I mean, before we get on to that, I think it's important to sort of discuss the fact that there's lots, lots of there's probably more options available to authors now than there's mm-hmm. ever been. Mm-hmm. So you've you've correctly identified traditional publishing mm-hmm. as one aspect of that, of which there's sort of small, medium, large traditional publishing. There's self-publishing. There's also a myriad of sort of small indie publishers, mm-hmm. some of whom are sort of seem to be doing a really good job, some of whom don't seem to be doing such a good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's lots of there's lots of options there. Your, yeah. your choices are not just limited to self-publish or go with the traditional publisher. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. What areas of publishing would you say you prefer? Like, sorry, which options or venues of publishing do you oh, prefer? Look, I think it's always nice to have. So it's always nice. Look, <laughs> we all want to go for. Uh, uh, I mean, have, for your own writing. Yes, yes, yeah, sure, though, sure. Yeah. Look, I mean. Mm-hmm. So my first book, Ghost Money, mm-hmm. was a crime novel set in Cambodia. Came out about four years now. Yep. I think in the lead up to that coming out, I would have killed to get a traditional large publisher. Yep. Um, I'm much older and wiser now, 
And I probably think that... So, so instead of getting that larger publisher, it came out with a small publisher in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but it came out. That was good. I mean, I can go through the process leading that, up to that coming out if you want. Um, my second novel, which is called Gunshine State, which is another crime novel, is coming out September 12th, actually, hmm. um, through a slightly larger small publisher in Europe, sort of small to medium publisher. I don't know how, quite how you describe them, called 280 Steps, who just do crime fiction. Mm-hmm. Look, this is a conversation that you know you have with lots of people, and I think there's always pros and cons to any, to just about any publishing arrangement that you want to enter into. There's no, there's very few publishing arrangements, especially for emerging writers or starting up mm-hmm. writers that are really free of problems. Yeah, and writers like a lot of people, probably more so than a lot of people, love to bitch. <laughs> and you'll never find a writer who hasn't got a complaint about some aspect of some sort of process they've had with their publisher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never have anyway, <laughs> and I, I and I don't either. So, you know, there so, you go. Yeah, I gotta say my publisher was all right. That was me. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, if your publisher was easy to work with, I can disagree with that. <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I, I wasn't me complaining about my publisher, though. There you go. Maybe I mean, the thing is, there's so many options. Mm. You've got to look at the options, mm. find out what's best for you, of course. Yep. And uh, it also depends on what you're writing, when you yep. want to get it out, what you want to do with it. There's all kinds of questions that you've got to answer about it. This, this will go slightly off topic. Go I know it. it shouldn't be going there, but. Um, how many how many um, publishers did you go to before you got your one your first book? Look, my my first novel was written so it was a crime novel set in mid nineties Cambodia mm-hmm. where I, when I was working as a uh, journalist during that time. Mm-hmm. Took me though until about uh, I forgot about the novel till about the early two thousands when I just decided Gee, I really want to write that novel. Mm-hmm. So various other things were going on in my family life at the time. We packed up and went to Cambodia for a year. I wrote the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, started to send I mean I did a lot of drafts started to send it out got a lot of this is really interesting but also got a lot of we can't sell this mm. it was shortlisted for a reasonably prestigious literary prize which is the Victorian Premier's Literary mm-hmm. Award for non for, for unpublished manuscript it was mm-hmm. shortlisted for that I thought gee that's got to get me going and then I got an agent Mm-hmm. And then I thought, that's really got to get me going. Mm-hmm. The agent sent it to about 13 publishers. Um, none of them really bit. Some of them didn't even get back to us. And then I just decided, look, I think this is ready to go out. Other, other things were happening in my life. I just wanted to get this book off my chest, off my <laughs> table, mm-hmm. yeah. out there. So when a very small American crime publisher called and said, we'll publish it, I said, yeah, look, short, sure, take it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A decision that, depending on what day you catch me on, I either think is or was a really good decision, or I think was the worst decision I've made <laughs> in terms of writing. So I mean, look, you know. Mm-hmm. And then to pull it back on topic, um, how did they go with the editing process with them? Well, they didn't do a particularly good editing job. I think mm-hmm. oh, they were okay. small, and they weren't. They, they'd taken on too much. That's a very common refi- yeah. refrain of small publishers, small, small publishing, independent yeah. publishers. Ah, uh, they got it out eventually. It's done okay. Um, sold all right. I've subsequently brought it out with another slightly better, with a better publisher based in Hong Kong now, mm-hmm. who just mm-hmm. do who do crime fiction again. Um, it's doing again. Like I got, I got a royalty statement the other day for mm. them. So there, there you go. That's they good. they That's did nice. a much better edit. 
The well, pop- how many drafts did you get for 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 the second time around? I think we, yeah. we we tossed a couple of drafts around. What the first one? Oh, look, one. Yeah, <laughs> okay, but I mean, yeah. I I look. I'd already edited that within an inch of its life. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I must have gone through you about, had it I reckon about a, a dozen years, yeah. a dozen edits, including tinkering around with it and playing around with it, and it just gets to the point where I just couldn't do it yep. anymore. Yeah. I'd never want to see you it You don't again. want to look at that text again. I don't right. want to look at that text again. <laughs> so this second book that's coming out through 280 Steps in September, that was a much better process. I did about four or five drafts of that one, sent it to them, they've taken it. They've sent me back a couple of drafts. We've been toing and froing. It's been a good editorial process. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been much better. Okay, good. I mean, how would that differ with a traditional publisher? Some publishers do a lot of editing. Some traditional publishers don't do much at all. Mm-hmm. Some of the very big traditional publishers don't do much yet, don't do much editing at all. So if I were to go back yep. um, and say you gave your, tri- your uh, publisher the boot and said... I'm going on my own. I'm self-publishing. Yeah. What process would you go through? In terms of editing the book? Mm-hmm. Oh, look. Would you rely on yourself? Would you go to somebody else? Well, I do. I mean, regardless of that, I mean, yes, I'll, I'll take your question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I edit it myself. I usually do several edits. I usually have what's called a couple of beta readers. So I have three readers who I trust and know and who are crime writers who read it for me and give me feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably do this is so, so for the, so and then I'll probably do a couple of edits based on that. Mm-hmm. I think there gets to a point where really you're just incapable. I think there gets to a point where it's really hard for you to You're edit. blind to the mistakes. Pardon? Yep. You're, you're blind. blind to the whole thing, quite mm-hmm. frankly, which mm-hmm. is why having an editor is really good. Um, the other thing that I think some people don't pay attention to, which is really obviously very important, is uh, just the, 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 the line in it. Yep. There's nothing worse than reading. Look, I mean, <laughs> I yep. thought it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I read crime fiction by I – read, I read fiction by quite prestigious publishers and I find mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm not a particularly good proofer. Mm. I mean, I'm an all right proofer, but I'm, mm. I wouldn't call myself a forensic proofer. Yeah. I can find mistakes. Not a lot, but I found them. This is, you know, in books from, rel- from relative big five publishers. Yeah. Obviously, I've also read stuff on Kindle. I've read other things, indie press stuff, where you find a lot more mistakes. Yep. And there's nothing worse as a reader than finding a book with heaps of mistakes. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing worse as a writer yep. than having someone contact you about your book uh, and oh saying, yes. I found these mistakes in it. It's very true. <laughs> that is the worst thing in it's the world. Painful, I think. very painful. Yeah. And then they leave a review on Amazon that says, "Really like this book, but it but had this bad mistake." Editing. Yep. Or you know stuff like that. So I mean, that's that the line edit is really important, and I think the line edit is all, is often the one that self-published authors don't do or don't do as well we'll as they should lot, yeah. or struggle with because after writing their book and doing all that editing, they're probably not capable of doing it. Mm. That's right. Um, so let's break down the editing process for especially yep. emerging writers. What? So you've you've mentioned line editing, structural editing, mm. uh, line editing being the the grammatical, yep. you know, the punctuation, making sure the book reads well, and the structural editing, piecing your book together, making sure there's no plot holes, changing characters mm. around, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, when it comes to line editing, um, is it? Do you think it's almost recommended to have another line editor look at your book well, that's it's not good. you. I think it's good. It's a good thing if you can do it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When yeah. it comes to structural editing... I think that's a good thing to have too. It's, it's a good thing <laughs> to really... I mean, look... So one of the things I've been doing is... Uh, one of the things... I, I, I'm one of the editors of a online crime magazine called Crime Factory. Ah, yes. www.thecrimefactory.com. Mm-hmm. We publish novellas. We pub- we've published anthologies. We also ha- we also do a um, we we do a sort of oh, look. It's, it bounces around in frequency because we're all busy. There's mm-hmm. four, there's uh, three of us involved. Four of us involved really. Uh, we do a magazine called Crime Factory, mm-hmm. which is a sort of short crime fiction reviews. Has been reviews. We're stopping the reviews for various reasons. Features, etc. Um, I was the reviews editor of that for quite a while, and so we reviewed lots of books. We reviewed uh, major crime fiction from the big publishers. We reviewed indie crime fiction. We also, well, we were open to reviewing self-published crime fi- fiction, uh, you know, and small indie press crime fiction. And some of that small self-published crime fiction, as a couple of books I'm thinking of, was just fantastic. Every mm. now and again, you come across one that you just think. Why was this not picked up? This yep. is really good. But I've got to say, that is the exception to the rule. <laughs> the, the rule usually being that the self-published stuff is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's badly written, badly thought out, published too soon, full of mistakes. Yep. Yeah, it's a funny thing. It's, it's almost like um, looking at fan fiction everywhere you go. You think, okay, they're published on Kindle. Maybe it'll be okay, even though it's self-published. And you start reading it, you think, well... I'd like to think that I'm a good self-publisher, and then I'll look at these things. Like maybe I am actually a good self-publisher <laughs> because it's some of it's astounding stuff. It's mm. just yeah, I agree. I, have I they agree. got anyone to read it? Has mm. anyone given them any feedback? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just um, you mean some of it's astounding as in astoundingly bad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Um, I think I've still yet to find a really good self-published one that that I mean I don't look very hard for self-published yeah material, which is sad because I self-published, but. Um, I'm sure I could find something, but but again, there's so much, so much not great stuff because anyone can self-publish, and there's mm. so much of it out there. Yeah, so much of it out there, which is the, leads to this the other issue, which is once you've put your stuff out there, regardless of whether it's good or bad, how do you move it? Even, yeah. even if it's yeah. brilliant, how do you move it? Mm-hmm. Which is the other is another key thing. But anyway, that's that's probably for another podcast. You mentioned <laughs> uh, that you did a second edition. Of your first book, yes, and with a different publisher, yeah. Would you say there was writer's regret with the first publisher? Look, because of the editing, I have no regrets. <laughs> no, look, this. You can't. I, I can't remember where it was. I mean, ages ago, because mm. I mean, this is something writers and prospective writers love talking about. The 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 published the, the path to publication and all that yep. sort of stuff, mm. um, which and, and the answer being there's no one path to publication. I That's think, right. but I can there are some people who consider. I, I remember talking to one woman once, who described her ideal path to publication as like the first time she slept with someone, and it was going to be a really important <laughs> milestone, special, mm-hmm. careful occasion. Which respect, fine, no mm. drama. Good luck. But I thought, yeah, good luck. I thought, I think that's not a not that that may be a good way to think about your first sexual experience. I'm not sure it's a good way necessarily to think about your first book. First book. Um, so I do and I don't. I do and I don't. I do. Mm. I do. But I mean, it got me out there. People mm. have read it. People have liked it. It's got me gigs. 
It's the first book. It's just the first book. Yeah. Then yeah. you do a second book. Then you do a third book. Um, it didn't blow anything out of the water, but most books don't blow out of the Most blow, books don't get blown out of the water yeah. by sales these days. It's the 1%, uh, especially first books. No, and I think that's the myth. That's a myth about publishing. Hmm. And I think it's a myth about publishing that seems to me particularly prevalent in Melbourne. Mm. Is the is the is the sort of Hannah Kent path to publication? Hannah Kent is the author of a very, very well known book now called Burial Rights, which is a great book. You know, which was picked up out of a prize. I think mm. some prize at the Adelaide Writers Festival mm. ran, got picked up, and then got published by some squillion publishers around the world, and has been a huge success. And yeah. I think the mm. myth is. That's your path to publication. Now that will yeah. be a part, your path to publication. It would for be a if ver- you always got it. <laughs> yeah, for a very very small minute part. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. And then there's another path to publication, which is traditional publishing, which is for a slightly larger but still small group of people. Then there's indie publishers and all this other stuff that that goes on as you try and build your way up. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's how I see it. Um, get your stuff. I'd rather have stuff out there than having it sitting in a drawer. But I'd rather have stuff out there that's good. It's got to be good. Yep. I've mm. got to think it's good, and it's got to be edited, and it's got to be, it's got to be high quality. It's don't got something just, you can get behind. Yeah, yeah. Don't just put your stuff out there that's crap, but get your stuff out there. So, so I, but with that first book, hmm. I had made an assessment that after about twelve edits, rounds of edits, getting shortlisted for a prominent prize. And various other feedback that I had, positive feedback that I had, I thought, look, this is ready to go. The fact that I can't get this picked up by a mainstream publisher in Australia, it was a bad year, that was 2009. Mm -hmm. I think a big book chain collapsed that year. I know that was a bad publishing year. But anyway, the point being, I just made a decision, look, just get it out there, I think it's good enough. By and large, I think that decision has been vindicated. That first publisher was not as good as I would have liked them to have been, but look... You live and learn, and even the options available to me now are different, even to the to the ones that they were four years ago. So mm-hmm. it's grown that much. So, so I don't know a, if that answers your question. I, I think it does. Uh, here's here's you a always qu- have regrets, but look, you, you're always going to have regrets. You're always going to think I should have done that or I should have done this. Or, uh, on the pushing forward, you should, yeah. yeah. On the writer's regret question, I had a conversation with an author that I mentioned to you before the podcast. Yep. yep. Um, about a writer who said, "Well, you know, I've I've done a few edits." Um, done a few drafts. I've sent it to a few publishers. They've all said no. Should I keep trying uh, traditional publishing or should I just go ahead and self-publish? Um, and if you were to look at the work and if you were to say, well, yeah, I think this is good. It might not be the best, but you know, what is and what is the measure of being the best? Should she then self-publish or do, would you say persist, try smaller publishers, try indie publishers, try traditional publishers or just put it out? Well, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One, it's got to be the best that you can make it. So if you're putting it out and it's not the best that you think it is, you shouldn't be putting it out. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I think. Uh, two, as we've discussed, there's so many paths to publication and also that <laughs> it's horses for courses. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your friend, what that woman is writing. Mm-hmm. But if she's writing some sort of weird speculative science fiction, she's not going to get it picked up by a traditional publisher by and large. Mm-hmm. You know, if she's writing a really dark, down and dirty, dark, sort of nasty noir story, probably again not going to get picked up by a sort of big five mainstream traditional publisher. Mm-hmm. 
So it's it's one thing to sort of say, oh, these publishers aren't picking me up. But uh, you actually, have you actually looked at the publisher? Have you looked at what they put out? I mean, if their main stuff is cooking books and, you know, <laughs> speculative and, and sort of twee fiction about sort of, a, you know, a travelling time, tra- a time-travelling detective, then they're probably not going to pick your stuff, you know, and romance, they're not going to pick your stuff up. Mm. So you've got to be clever about this as well. I mean, the other thing to, the other thing that really, the thing that really struck me, which I just don't think a lot of people get, I think the fascinating thing was, when 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 that my first book was doing the rounds of publishers and my agent, who God bless him had no idea about, not really very very little idea about crime fiction, mm-hmm. and and he would CC me into all the emails he was getting from publishers, which I really didn't want him to do. <laughs> but 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 quite literally on the same day you would get uh, you would get a piece of feedback that said. Oh look, blah blah blah. I really like this. We can't really place it. Uh, I, I love. I like this, this, and this, and I really like the ending. And three hours later, I would get an email from another publisher saying, "Yeah, we like this. Can't really place it. I didn't like those things, and I really <laughs> disliked the ending." <laughs> so if you fish around, you will always find contradictory and mm-hmm. subjective advice about virtually yeah. every single yep. piece of writing you do. Which is mm-hmm. kind of be, can be quite paralysing, and I know mm. with I know with Ghost Money, my first novel, mm. I found it quite paralysing, and I sort of kept changing things every time I would get feedback, and I just thought, hang on, this is getting silly. Mm. I've got to do the best novel that I think I can do, and get it picked up, and I'm not going to go around and sort of react to every single piece of advice. And even now, I mean, that's the thing. Once you do get published and you start getting reviews, it's it's a brutal world out there. Hmm. Amazon not so much, but God, Goodreads they really they hoe in on Goodreads yep. like you would not believe, which is fine. You just gotta you know don't filter don't, it out. Don't get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Don't read the reviews, but I have. Mm-hmm. You know they really hoe in, and they'll, they'll you know you'll get reviews that are just diametrically opposite. It's it's a, such a subjective thing, and you've just got to roll with with that and just do the best work that you can. Try and get it into the publisher you think that would will sync with your work. Mm-hmm. And just get it out there. I mean, I think that's just sort of what you've got to do. Fantastic. Well, when, when you're talking about um, these sort of really in-depth sort of uh, criticisms and things like that, um, I, I remember I was um, listening to an interview with, I think it was Alan Moore. Uh, he was talking about how that actually sort of encouraged it. Like if, especially if it's like a good criticism. It's not something saying like, oh, his spelling was wrong there. Like he's saying this was really strong in the book. I did, didn't like that, 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 that. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's good. But now I've got something to work with. And first, first of all, it's created like this uh, tension and it's created the controversy. And and he he sort of picks up and likes this conflict. Like oh, the conflict yeah. of will. So some, sometimes, I mean, you're going to pick up people who don't like I'm, it. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not bagging out mm-hmm. bad reviews. I think oh, yeah, yeah. a review is a review. A review mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. I'm, quite frankly, I'm just happy for a review. Like, yeah. It doesn't worry <laughs> you actually me. read my book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you read my book. You took the time to read my book. Thanks mm. very much. That's something. That's yeah, the yeah. other thing, which is people who react really badly to reviews. It's like, well, <laughs> get a life. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. My, my yep. other piece of advice, too, if I can just throw this in, yeah. mm-hmm. is that I think. A mistake I made with my first book is I became obsessed with it. Yep. And I only had that book and I just, night and day, I just was thinking about that book, how I get it published, how Praying I make the it royalties. better. <laughs> no, not so much that. Just out. Just, just wanted I've it just, out. I've just, you know, you know, I used to think about it and, and actually 
I've got this second book coming out. I think it's a much better book. It's a much better publisher. But I'm not f- worried so much about it because I've got so much else going. Mm. I've got two or three other projects going on. Yep. Have other? Pro- don't just have the one project that you get obsessed by. And if it doesn't get <laughs> editing picked, over and yeah, if it doesn't get picked and... up, you'll be sort of crestfallen about it. Have more than one project yep. on the go. Hmm. That was one thing I do regret, the time I wasted with that first book, obsessing about it and trying to get it out and obsessively following these emails, which I didn't want to get CC'd into from my my, uh, agent saying, oh, these people, they didn't want it, but they they sort of said this really nice thing or or this or, you know. (laughs) I know I start on the, um, the subject of editing, but where does one market short stories? Look, there's a... That's an interesting question. Um, Especially specific genre short stories. Well, I can only really speak about crime is mm-hmm. my only real area of expertise in this. Yep. I've, I think... I mean, Crime Factory, www.thecrimefactory.com. We take mm-hmm. we take we, we sort of do noir and dark fiction, but mm-hmm. also dark speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. We'll mix it up. As long as it's not a cosy or a romance, a romance <laughs> book, we won't, we'll, we'll look at it. Um, there are places to do it. Um, I was have just had a story in a, an anthology um, called Crime Scenes by a group called Spineless Wonders from New South Wales, based in Sydney. They do short yep. stories. Sisters in Crime, they've got a short story contest open at the moment. It's open every year. The Scarlet Stiletto Awards, they do stuff. Um, so they're options. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, America, I've been to America, I've got a bit to do with the sort of noir and crime fiction scene in America. They, as though it's changing, but they have a much bigger short story culture in America. Mm. Just doesn't seem to really jive quite so much here. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas people are much into it there. There's some really, really good websites um, that do and publications that do short fiction. Less of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, that stuff is picked up. It's read. It's read by agents, it's read by publishers. I know people who've got book deals by having short stories published in the US. I don't know that I don't know that from Australia. I'm sure it's probably happened. Mm. The short form seems to be far less popular in Australia. I'm not quite yeah. sure why that is. And I just keep I, hearing and I, about I, publishers who are like, that's not a novel, we don't want it. Well also <laughs> I think that the the, the the accepted format publishing yeah. convention is that anthologies don't sell. Yep. And Unless you're, you know, a name. Unless you're Christos Chalkas or something yeah. like that, in which case <laughs> then, they might sell. Yes. I mean, and that's the other thing too. I think the other thing is it's good not to – look, you've got to try and throughout all this process, and I'm sorry to get away from your, your short story thing. I'll get back to that in a minute. That's fine. You've got to also try and strip out taking it personally. Really got to try and do that. It'll kill you. Otherwise, it'll eat you up. Otherwise, and hmm. um, publishers are publishers. Publishers are trying to make a buck too. Make money, and yeah. there's yeah. no point getting it's a business pissed at publishers because they don't take your book. Yep. Don't take my heart seriously. I know it's especially no good to getting pissed Bleeding at publishers hearts. who don't publish your kind of book that don't take your book. But that's another thing. <laughs> Probably don't want to be published the sh- by them anyways. Yeah, the short form is not as big in Australia, but there's yep. options. I know there's a big romance writers sort of short fiction thing I'm not I'm not so clear about SF and speculative mm. fiction I, don't I, know. I think in genre it seems in Australia genre f- like pieces whether it be crime or yeah. fantasy or sp- anything speculative it seems uh, has a harder sell I think in Australia mm. um, it's fair to say um, than say something like uh you know, lit or drama um, yeah. within the short story market. I, you know, there's a lot of lit magazines that take sure. Uh, I think that's fictions. totally on the money. I'm totally on the money. That comment. Um, it's but, a great training ground. 
Yeah, that's a great training ground. Doing short, short, short fiction is a is a good, strong training ground. Gets your for craft. Doing, yeah, it's doing yeah. your craft. That's right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Andrew, for coming onto the show and putting up with all our nonsense. <laughs> Where can people find you um, online? The social media links. Okay, you can you can find my What's my website up? is uh, called is www.pulpcurry.com. Mm-hmm. And this is my online home. I write a lot. I do a lot of pulp there. A lot of post a lot of old pulp covers. It's my online CV and home. My <laughs> authorial real estate, as they refer to it. In if you go to those terrible courses you do about marketing yourself as a writer. Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, at pulp Query. Mm-hmm. and I think I'm on Goodreads. Um, Fantastic. Great. And your book, Gunshine State? My book, Gunshine State, is out September 12th. It's a heist novel set in Queensland, Thailand, and Melbourne. Hmm. All righty. That's coming out September. September. Quite yes. the globetrotting there. Luke, <laughs> how about yourself? Where can people find you? Episode two of the short story is out. Where That's can right. we expect episode three? Oh, well, we'll find out. We'll wait for those clicks again. Oh, there you go. Uh, hopefully, it should be back within the next week, really. Fantastic. Um, still on thesoulshard.com or at thesoulshard on Twitter. Fantastic. You can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. They're still accepting submissions. It's an annual magazine, so you've got time, but get in there quick. Uh, They like (laughs) early birds. Um, As for the podcast, we will be having, uh, as usual, a guest in two weeks time and hopefully coming out shorter than this episode because editing and such um will be a new feature of the morning bell called the discomfort zone where three of us take apart a movie and basically make everyone uncomfortable and see things they don't usually see and it's just generally a very good time um and next week we'll be having quite the guest i hope you join in and enjoy thank you very much for listening ladies and gentlemen and we'll see you next week